Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. I can't thank Pastor for the opportunity to teach because he is not here. Um, but I am always thankful to be here. I'm always thankful to be ministering and teaching at this church. Um, I love being here. I've said, I say it almost every time, but there's nowhere else I would rather be. Um, I was home in Toledo with, uh, with my family. My sister just had her second, her second um, child born, healthy, healthy baby girl, her name's Josie. But I was home there, and um, I was visiting my home church, and I was seeing my, my home pastor. And I love them so much, but... I would not rather be there than be here. So um, I am thankful to minister here, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm thankful that Pastor has given me the opportunity. So this year, um, our theme, every year we do, we do a theme. We sit down at the beginning of the year, and we decide what the theme is. Um, and when I say we, I mean it's Pastor and Sister Burke and Timothy. Um, they are the minds behind the church. So we decide, we decide what the theme is, and this year we decided on Be the Church. Um, and over the course of that day meeting, there were hundreds of B, as in the bug B jokes being made, um, which I thought was a better theme than be the church. But, so our theme was be the church, and, and then what we do is we split every quarter up into um, smaller themes. And so last, last quarter was discipleship, this quarter is, um, is life, and it's supposed to gear our thinking, it's supposed to gear um, our color branding, and all these different things, um, what we teach about, it's supposed to be about these quarterly themes. And if you don't do the quarterly theme, at the end of the quarter, uh, there's, a, there's a, a hidden tally, and we say, guys, no one mentioned the quarterly theme at all, and then you're on Timothy's list. He's not in here. I was hoping he was in here for that joke. But then you're on his list. So, we're in life, and so I was focusing on life. I was like, I have, to, I have to teach something about life. You know, what am I going to teach about? And so I thought about it, and I spent all this, time, all this time studying about it. And so I am thankful to tell you, Timothy, that, that after all that time, I came to a lesson that is not about life. It is about, uh, it's about last quarter's theme. So I will be on that list at the end of the quarter. Um. But I don't think it was by accident, and, these, and what I want to teach about, I feel like, had been on my mind for a while. Um, and that's the way it always goes, at least in my experience, is there's like little things that are on your mind that have been percolating, little things that God's been talking to you about, and then when, and then when the time is right, he kind of brings them together. And that's why I'm always so nervous whenever Sister Burke's like, hey, can you teach? And I'm like, I have nothing. But of course, you know, God always brings things to you when you need them. So I feel like this lesson has been prepared um, in me. And I think that's a key when we were going through this. Um, first and foremost, I feel like this was for my own life. Um, this ministered to me. This is what I needed to hear. And so my goal isn't to tell you what you're doing wrong and that you need to do what I think is right and that you need to do what I need to do. My goal is to say, like, this is what spoke to me. This is what ministered to me. And hopefully you can be blessed by it as well. So, 
so this first started, and I want to give a plug here. Um, I want to give a plug here for having mentors in your life because these thoughts were happening in my mind, but they really focused together when, um, when I was in Toledo, I was able to connect with my former pastor, Chris Dillingham, and I was able to get lunch with him, and that conversation with him was so edifying um, in that when, when you have people like that in your life, when you have mentors in your life, when you have um, authority in your life, uh, the things that they're going through and the things that they've experienced and the things that they can pass down are so invaluable. Um, and there's really nothing that we can do to replicate that. Um, as much as we like to think that we have all the answers, as much as sometimes we do have all the answers, nothing can ever replace having someone speaking into your life who's above you. So I just want to give a plug there. If you don't have a pastor or a mentor, you need to get one. And so a little bit of this might, might feel like it's counter what we have heard or counter what we talk about um, or, or think um, about discipleship. But I want to say that I stay submitted to pastor's authority and to his vision, and I also stay submitted to the authority of scripture. So let's get started. I believe um, in general that people are born with something, with something in them missing, right? Uh, we've either seen it or felt it in our own lives or in the lives of other people around us that uh, people will fill themselves up with everything that they can. They'll try to make their life about their job. Um, they'll try to make their life about the stuff that they can buy um, in the, their cars or their house or their toys or whatever it is. Um, some people even try to take that void and they fill it up with, believe it or not, their family. Like they have this part in their life that they know is missing, so they try to reach out and they'll be like, well, if it's, not, if it's not this, it can be my family or whatever. But I believe that we are designed to have something missing in our lives. Now, of course, the people in this room and the other 70 who aren't here today, um, we would agree that that thing that's missing is... God's spirit in our lives. We would say that that thing that is missing is a relationship with Christ. That every person is born needing that relationship and when we don't have it, there's something missing. And so people, we would say like, well, like people who are blinded by sin or who are still in the world, like they don't realize that thing that they're searching for, that thing that they're trying to capture is that divine relationship. So then we would say, like I said, um, it's a relationship with Christ. It's salvation. And once you have that, does that mean that does that mean that it just goes away and that you smooth sail for the rest of your life just completely content? There's no more strife. There's no more, you know, desire. I would say, and this is a theory of mine, that once you are saved, once you receive salvation, there is a new void that is opened up in your life. And that will remain, as a Christian, in your life until you fill it with ministry. So before you have God, you're searching for something bigger, and that bigger thing is God. But that's not enough. Once you have him, he's asking you for something else, and that is ministry. And all these things in our lives added up. Ecclesiastes talks about how it's all vanity, and he ends it by saying, in Ecclesiastes, he ends by saying that this is the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 
So we're told in scripture that the duty of man, what we're put here to do, is to keep the commandments of God. So what does that mean for us? For people who are saved, who have found, what, you know, who have found that final thing that can satisfy us, but what does that mean for what our role is? I skipped ahead a little bit. So that role is ministry. But then the question is, um, okay, so I'm a new convert, I'm saved. Now I have to wait until I find out what my ministry is. Now I have to wait until God reveals what his plan is for my life and all these things. Um, you know, you see some people who come into the church and they don't start pastoring for 20 years or they don't, you know, that you don't see their quote unquote ministry start for a long time. But the answer is a lot more simple than that. The answer is that every single person who's, well, every single person, specifically every Christian, is called to the exact same ministry. There is one ministry that is paramount that comes before all else, and it starts as soon as you receive salvation, and that is the ministry of discipleship. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 um, this is the end of the book of Matthew. This is the last thing that Christ says before he is taken up, um, which is considered a pretty big deal. The last word someone says, um, they make, and it's specifically in the Bible, there's a theme of the final things that people say being of paramount importance. But also we can just kind of assume, you know, like, well, this is all I have left to say. I'm not going to waste it. So let's read. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world." In that word, in verse 19, where he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That word teach in the Greek has two definitions. One of them is to make a disciple. And the second definition is to be a disciple. The ESV actually translates that as go therefore and make, all nation, make disciples of all nations. So Jesus' final commandment, right next to baptism, which we say is salvation. So there's two things. Like, we would say salvation is the most important thing, right? Like, if we can get someone saved, but Jesus is putting making discipleships in the same sentence right along with that. Excuse me, making disciples. So he's saying, before he leaves, he has one last chance to say something to his disciples, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations. His, so those were his words, and that's known as the Great Commission. So the question that started this is why don't, I'm going to say our for the rest of this lesson, but I really meant me. Why don't we see that in our lives? How come we don't see, I mean, we see things like salvation, we see things like being filled with the Holy Ghost, but why don't we see making disciples in our lives? And I know I'm not seeing it the way I need to if Jesus has put such importance on it. So I want to talk about a few things that discipleship is and is not. And maybe by doing so, um, we can have a better idea of what it means. 
because um, I think we have some misconceptions and I think we have some fears about it, but I, I, think, it's, I think the way that, that the Bible is, in, is instructing us to live out discipleship is different than what we think it is in our mind. So just to reread that, that one verse, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So here we are given a direct command by Christ to make disciples. So first and foremost, what discipleship is not is optional. John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Going back a little bit in John verse, or chapter 8, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And if we keep his commandments, we are his disciples. 1 John um, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says, And by this we know that we have come to him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. So if we are to claim to know him, but we do not keep his commandments, we don't truly love him. So you see that making disciples was not like uh, an offhanded suggestion of God, uh, from God. It wasn't like a thing that, you know, this is something that we can think that Jesus did by his actions, but it was never clearly put to words. Um, no, it was a very specific command that Jesus gave. And it's not, uh, it's not a special program. It's not a ministry that Jesus said, go in and act this. He said, go in to do it. So on West, so, uh, I'm going to go down. So we, know, so we know when it comes to discipleship, um, not optional. It was very straightforward. So then what is it? Because we know that it's not optional, we know that discipleship is the first and foremost ministry that we are called to. Um, as an aside, if you want the longer and better version of this lesson, you need to go and read the book, um, Follow to Lead by Stan Gleason. Pastor gave me that book probably three years ago, um, and I put it on my shelf. And I would look at it a lot and think, get to this. Um, but it never really, you know, I, it never really clicked for me. And this week when I was studying for this lesson, Janae, it was like, oh, well, you should just read that book. And I was like, well, I have like a lot of other stuff. Um, I don't really have time. She's like, you know, it's going to take you like a day and a half to read it. Um, so I folded. And that book was um, was was truly amazing. I highly recommend it. Um, and most of, most of the inspiration material for this came from that. Um, but in it, the author, um, Brother Gleason, he calls it to attention that the definition of disciple is that you are both simultaneously, there's two definitions. You are making disciples and you are being discipled. So it's both. It's both of those things. So each and every one of us are called to be disciples and therefore make disciples. If you are not being discipled, you are by definition not a disciple. And if you are not making them, you are not. So um, if you're not letting someone else disciple you, you're not fulfilling God's command. 
But in the same way, if you're just sitting and receiving, but you're not giving anything to anyone else in return, if you're not discipling anyone else, you are not fulfilling God's command. And I feel like we have a misconception about who is, pre- who is like prepared to make disciples. Um, it was the primary method of growing the church in the early church. And so the early church was, you know, at most just a few years old during this time. So we're not talking about people who have spent their entire lives studying scripture. We're not talking about people who have spent their lives going to school, sitting on the, on the pew, listening um, to Sunday school lessons and listening to sermons. We're talking about like babes in Christ, as we would call them. We have this, this thing where we want to say like, oh, well, they've only been in the church for a year. So we don't want to like give them too much. We don't want to have too much expectations of them. But those people who are that new were the people who built Christianity. Those were the people that God was calling to go and make disciples. We're talking about early converts. So there's, if there's a misconception in anyone's mind that we need to be tenured or we need to be highly educated or we need to be um, ministering or teaching or whatever, that's not the example we are given in scripture. So all you need to disciple someone is to just be one step ahead of them. You just have to be one step ahead of them. So if you just receive the, uh, the revelation that Jesus is God, that's one thing you can disciple somebody in. You know, you don't have to have the fullness of truth in every revelation to disciple somebody. You just have to be on the path, walking towards him. Because if you choose to disciple somebody, and let's say you just got baptized, that's the step you take them to with the understanding that every day you're growing too. Every day you're taking another step. Every day you're getting closer to the mark. And so the person that you're bringing with you is coming just one step at a time too. So if you have this fear that you need to wait till you arrived, um, that's not biblical. So the key is that every disciple is constantly engaged with discipling and being discipled. I'm getting, that word is starting to sound like when you say something a bunch and you're not sure if, uh, if you are pronouncing it right. And I have to say it a lot more. So, we need, um, it's really important that we are giving, and that we're on the giving side of that. But it's really important, it's equally important that we are receiving. We need these mentors. We need, um, they would have been called like a rabbi in the time of Jesus, right? We need someone like him who is showing us that way, who is showing us the next step. And a pastor can be that for you. A pastor can be, but he is, he is not by default. A mentor, someone who is discipling you, is not someone that you just hear from. It's someone that you have a close relationship with, which is the key of discipleship is relationship. So, so in that regards, referring to pastor... Discipleship is not a one-to-many relationship. So pastoring is one-to-many. There's one pastor, and then there's many people who hear it. Um, Singing is one-to-many. There's one person who sings, and many people hear it. Discipleship is not one-to-many. It is, in the least, one-to-one, and in the very most, one-to-few. Right? You um, You can't disciple everybody. You can't have a close relationship in the way that you need a disciple with every person. 
It's either one-to-one or one-to-few. And so that brings me to my next knot. Um, and this, if, if I get in hot water here, um, well, I'll just come up and apologize. Discipleship is not soul winning. So I'm going to take a drink of water before I ask this. How many people here consider themselves soul winners? That is the exact number of people I expected to raise their hands. And that's not a dig at anybody. And when I say soul winner, I mean like walk up to somebody in schnooks and be like, you need the Holy Ghost and we're getting it now. And then we're going to pray through and then I'm going to invite you to church and then I'm going to invite your whole family to church. Like that's what I mean when I say soul winners. And if I'm being honest, for me, that sounds equal parts like terrifying and horrible. Like if you asked me to do that, I would be like, I don't know, I don't know. But it's, it's not horrible because the idea of someone who's lost is being saved, right? We love that aspect of it. It's horrible because it feels so counter to who I am as a person. It feels so counter to what my personality is, what my strengths are. Um, and I'm guessing that's similar for most of you. I'm guessing there's a, a, a normal reason why most of us don't just, every time we see someone who's not in church, just like beeline for them. It's like, okay, like I, I'm, I have the oil up, like slap on the forehead. Like there's a reason we don't do those things. I would say I maybe know maybe one or two people who are like that. And I mean like like that as in that's their nature. But if that's the case, if there's so few of us, let's just say there's one in a hundred, there's less than that. Let's say one in a hundred people are like that. How are, we, how are we supposed to grow the church? How can we expect the church to grow if so few of us have that, dis, um, that dispensation? Disposition, disposition. So many people who have that personality to just go up to a stranger and just start um, witnessing to them, right? See, soul winning is dependent on a very small amount of very high intensity uh, interactions, right? Like soul winning is about get me in that, get me connected with that person. Give me five minutes. We'll get them to the altar. They'll receive the Holy Ghost, and like that's a check mark. That's plus one for heaven. You dust your hands off or re-ointment your hands. I don't know how they do it. And you move on to the next one. See, soul winning, and it's even in the definition, it emphasizes the conversion event. But that's it, right? And as an aside, just so you know, soul winning is not a scriptural thing. The only time winning souls is mentioned is in Proverbs, and it says, uh, he that wins souls is wise. And that context of that is first off not talking about um, salvation and it's not talking about converting people so I'm not saying it's a sinful thing I'm saying it's a tradition thing that we that we talk about so how many of you have seen someone who's lost come to the church go to the altar receive the Holy Ghost people come up and they pray for them they leave the service and you never see them again has anyone ever seen that? Right. I've seen it. And that's not a shot at us. It's not unique to our church. It's not even unique to our denomination. And the emphasis is because we put so much pressure and so much weight on salvation, 
And salvation is important. I'm not talking against salvation here. But we put so much pressure on that one moment in time, that one high-intensity moment, but we failed to put the proper emphasis on discipleship. What we've done is we've put all of our eggs in a singular basket that the doctor will come and deliver a newborn baby and that with no nursing and no care and no nurturing, that baby will grow up and survive to be a healthy young person. Sorry, baby's on my mind with the last six months. But everybody here knows that babies have to be nurtured and cared for, and you have to sacrifice what you want for the baby, even though sometimes you just want to smother yourself with a pillow. I think, I think, I think the newborn language in the Bible is really specific to remind us how much it can be a sacrifice to have to walk someone through that process. But babies have to be nurtured for years until they are self-sufficient. And a soul-winning mentality may win numbers here and it may win numbers there, but it's not a sustainable method for growth. See, soul winners are the doctors that deliver the baby, right? But if that was the only person involved, we would have no people left. Or Christians, in this matter, for this example. So we have to move past the mindset that if we can just get sinners into the presence of God, one time that they'll heat up fast, right? And that they'll, then they'll be members of the church. We'll just get them saved, we'll get them baptized, and that's good to go. Both of those are excellent things, but they're not the prescribed method in the Bible for reaching people. You see, something that takes a really long time to heat up takes a longer time to cool down, and vice versa. So if you get an apple pie from McDonald's and you microwave it for 20 seconds, when you pull it out, it will be like molten lava. And if you let it sit for one minute, it is ice cold again. But if you take something and you put it in a crock pot and you let it simmer, or you take something and you put it in a smoker, it heats up slow and it takes a long time but then it retains that heat. And that is why discipleship is not dependent on moments in time like soul winning. Discipleship is dependent on relationships. We want to crockpot these people coming into the church. Okay? Matthew 11, 19 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. We must all follow the example of Christ, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, Christ was dynamic in the way that he took sinners and he made them his friends. And then he took his friends and he made him, them his disciples. I would, I would go so far as to say that as Christians who bear the name of Christ, if you don't have friends outside of the church, you are outside the will of God for your life. Because if you don't have friends who are outside the church, who, what sinners are you making your friends and what friends are you making your disciples? I'm going to read a portion from John 17. Um, I'm going to start at verse 14. He says, I have given them your word 
and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. And so we are called to be separate from the world, but separation is not isolation. Um, I've heard it say that the church has manufactured the rapture early. When the rapture happens, the church will be gone and there will be no more impact. So we have to ask ourselves, if the rapture took place, would our community notice if we were just gone? I can't snap. That's two times, by the way that I have messed up my snaps. I just can't do it. So are, are we living our lives and are we discipling in such a way that the world would notice the church's absence? And when we connect with sinners and truly befriend them, and not in like the mamby-pamby Christian, like, oh, I can't wait to win this person to the Lord, but like when we really care about them, when we really care about their struggles and their interests and who they are, when we really befriend people who aren't in the church, that is when doors open up to be able to minister and a disciple to somebody. Unfortunately, this usually looks like focusing on other people and not ourselves, which is hard. Um, we always say it like really sarcastically, like, yeah, well, like if you weren't so selfish, as if each and every one of us aren't extremely selfish too. It's not easy. Um, it's a sacrifice. But everyone we meet our thoughts need to be, what, what can I offer? What do I have that they need? And Jesus was, as he was at all things, he was the absolute master at this. And um, I've heard it said multiple times that Christ's mentality was, was, there you are when he saw you. It wasn't here I am. When he walked into a room, when he, when he saw people, he didn't say, here I am. If, as if anybody else in the world could have ever said, like, it's me, guys. It's, it's Jesus. He said, there you are. All of his focus was always on the people who, was, who were around him. And so when we befriend people, we, we gain an opportunity to have a lasting influence on their lives. We gain an opportunity to go back to it, to crockpot them over time. And it's not, it's not a fast process. You can disciple people who aren't in the church for years for years and not see the fruit that you think you need to see. You can disciple people for years who are outside of the church and never see that conversion event. It is the, con it is the conscious decision to be involved in the long-term process of creating something that will last. San Gleason talks about in his book about this neighbor he has um, that he had been, you know, he knocked on their door, he had made friends with them, and he had known him for, for months, for it was a few years, I think is what he said. And he said of him, I have yet to invite him to come to church because I know that one day he will invite himself. And that's not to say it's bad to invite people to church, but it, it shows an understanding that, that this is not the church. Knocking on someone's door, having a conversation with them, being Christ to them is the church. Because the church, isn't, it's, the church isn't just 
the salvation moment flash in the pan. It is something that will last for eternity, and it is built on relationships. We know that our lives is dependent on our relationship with Christ, our relationship with him. So we must have relationships with one another. What Christ did give us was very simple. Discipleship is not complicated. It is not a program. We don't need to wait until we're seasoned. Discipleship doesn't require a degree or a minister's license or experience teaching Sunday school. And we have lots of ministries. We have the ministry of teaching, of preaching, of worship. But none of these things are discipleship. Connect groups, they're not discipleship. Music's not discipleship. They're good and they're necessary, but they aren't discipleship. There's a quote that says, too many Christians are educated beyond their level of obedience. When you're saved, you are sufficiently grown to begin the discipleship process. That's what you're being asked to be obedient to. You're being asked to be obedient in making disciples. We don't need to wait until we arrive or gain our own individual ministry to begin this process. So if you have been wondering, as an aside, if you've been wondering what God wants for your life and what your ministry will be on this earth, um, there it is. It's discipleship. And you can start right now. Well, when I'm done. Actually, that's not true. If you're thinking of someone, you need to text him right now. Go ahead. Each of us know what it is like to connect with someone, to get dinner with a friend, to text someone when you think about them, um, to call someone with a word of encouragement. But really, really what it is, it's just being a constant friend in their lives. All of us know what that's like. We know when we need it, and we know when we've been able to give it. And so that's what the final thing that discipleship is. Um, it's the basis for all that we're supposed to be doing in the church. It is the main method of growing the church. And the method both Christ and the apostles used. And when we use it, excuse me, when we recognize that, we will begin to see opportunities for discipleship everywhere we go. It is not its own church program, but it is the reason every other church program should exist. Connect groups aren't discipleship, but connect groups should exist so that we may disciple people, so that we may be discipled by others. See, it's a ministry built on, those, on making those relationships. So we, we have to begin to see that everything the church does, um, which is to say everything that we do as individuals, we must do through that lens of discipleship. And it is a really unique ministry because it's the only ministry, um, it's the only ministry that can go from Monday to Saturday. No matter how good this lesson is or how good um, Timothy's sermon is, tomorrow it will not be being preached. It will go from being an active ministry today to being something that is passive in your life yesterday. And you can't, you can't make it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You can't make it on these passive ministries. Discipleship, unless I'm wrong, is the only ministry that not only every single person can do, not only every single person can do, but they can do it every single day. 
and we, as, a, as an aside, we've talked a lot in this church about, um, Sister Burke specifically has taught many lessons on pride, on unforgiveness. The reason those things are so damaging is because those directly impact your ability to disciple people. Um, for instance, if I don't like, let's say Janae and I are having a fight or whatever, she can still get up there and sing, and it can still bless the entire church. Um, I may be a little annoyed, but it doesn't change the way she ministers. Not that I would ever be annoyed with Janae. Um, but if you have the issue of pride, or you have the issue of unforgiveness, or you have personal beef with somebody, you can't disciple that person. You cannot disciple and grow a relationship with someone that you, um, you know, someone that you have a deep-seated bitterness towards. It's unique, isn't it? It's, it's, it's really like the same thing as if some of you don't like me, if, that was an if, if some of you don't like me, um, that doesn't stop me from being able to talk right now. But if Raymond and I, I got in a fist fight last week, and he whooped me, because he would, um, and I refuse to talk to him, next Sunday, I'm not going to have that open door to talk to him. There's going to be that division there. Also probably because my jaw would be broken or something like that, right? But, but pride and unforgiveness is a very individual barrier in between people. And that's why it's so detrimental to making disciples, because discipleship is such an individual thing. Um, but back to where we were going. So discipleship goes with us every single day, wherever we go. It never ends. And we must be on both ends of it, Monday, Tuesday, etc. We have to be being ministered to, and we have to be ministering to other people in, it, in an individual relationship. And so it's continual. And it's outside the walls of the church. And that's what it means, really, to be the church. Um, to bring it back to what our theme was. That's what it means uh, to literally be the church. It's each and every one of us. Um, and it's, it's us, but it's us all the time. I think that's the thing that, that I've struggled with. Is It's not just me when um, I'm doing something that God's asked me to do. It's me all the time. So when I go somewhere and I'm not ministering to somebody, I'm failing what it is to be the church. It's to understand that Sunday and Wednesday when we meet in worship and we hear the word, that is not the church. It's where we are, who we are, where we go, what we do, who we connect with. That is the church. And as a plug for our quarterly theme, the life of the church is to disciple. That is the purpose. The church was given here, was given to us to make disciples. We are to be saved, and right next to it, in the words of Christ, we are to make disciples. And if we love him, and we are his sheep, we will keep his commandments. And that commandment is for each of us to go and make disciples of all nations. And it will take each of us, because who I can reach and who I can disciple is not who you can reach. Uh, the people I, the friends I have at work, the friends I have outside of church are not the, the people that you have outside of church, right? Um, if, if my wife tried to connect with some of my friends and I tried to connect with some of her friends, it would never work. 
And that's why the church is, is dependent and waiting on each and every one of us. And it's too, and here's, the, here's another thing, it is too personal to depend on the Burks. Um, it's too personal to depend on what Pastor and Sister Burke may do. Uh, when it comes to them, there's way more bread than they have butter, okay? And if I know anybody in my life, Pastor and Sister Burke are too little butter on too much bread. They, they will do as much as you put before them. And so if we're not making disciples, we're shirking our responsibility. And by, by doing that, we're asking them, essentially, to pick, up the, to pick up the burden that we're not picking up and to carry the load that we're not doing. So it, discipleship isn't the only thing. I hope you guys understand today. I'm not saying that this is the only thing that we can do. Um, it's the only part of living for Christ. It's the only part of being in the church. It's not. I feel like it's something that we need to bring um, its deserved amount of em- em- emphasis and attention to. Um, it, it's really, to repeat, it's really something that God revealed about my own shortcomings and my own life and what I need to be doing. Um, and because it came to me in a moment where, like I said, I, I had met with Pastor Dillingham, I had been thinking about it, I had read this book, and it all just kind of came together. Because uh, I felt like for a while, like, what, what is my purpose, you know? What is my ministry? What am I here for? And it's this. I've been put here to make disciples, to be blessed by other people, and to pour that out into someone else who needs it. So I hope that walking through that and giving a few examples of what it is and isn't, um, blesses someone else today and gives someone else a revelation of our, our call and the importance of being a disciple. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about this Friday at Connect Groups. It'll be more, uh, more question-based. This is a plug for Connect Groups. So if you don't come, I know that you hated the lesson. But we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So um, if you guys will pray with me now, pray that that God will give us an understanding of what it is to be a disciple, that he will give us an understanding of our role in the church um, to make disciples. And then, then pray um, that he would give us one person, that we would pray that he would open up our eyes to one person that we can begin to disciple, one person who would be open um, and re- to receive that. So pray with me, church.